Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Just the West podcast. I'm your host, Just the West, and um, it is Saturday, November 5th. First and foremost, before we begin this NFC West podcast, uh, a special shout out to my sister. Happy birthday, Stacy. She turns the big whatever number you may think. And um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been one hell of a month. Saw her uh, a couple of weeks ago for my other sister's wedding in uh, Orange County. Um, she has two kiddos, so I'm an uncle. It's been one hell of a year, but onwards we go. And uh, hopefully next week I, I get to see you. Um, so happy birthday, Stacy! Week nine in the NFC West. So as we recap week eight, keep note that for week nine, the Niners, they're on a bye week. They are 4-4, four and four, uh, coming off uh, a pretty triumphant win against the Rams, 31-14, to 14, where they went to, I, I guess you would say, Levi South in L.A., in Inglewood, and they took care of business. Um, it, it was, personally for me, I, last week I, I was in SoCal, so I was watching the game. I wasn't at the game, but I was in, uh, I was in Orange County watching the game with a couple friends, fr- friend to the podcast, Tee Up at his place and um it was crazy when you looked at the tv you saw a sea of red um big divisional game this was their second and final matchup of the season but uh lo and behold i mean the rams are up i think 14 to 10 at halftime and the people that i was with um me and t up we had some red on um uh, being from niner fandom but we were outnumbered by plenty of Rams fans and actually an Eagle fan, which was interesting. But um, very close game at first for the first half. And then for the first time all season, you saw the Niners with Christian McCaffrey, with Jimmy Garoppolo, and with his defense making adjustments in the second half, which you can't say they've been doing that all season because, uh, well, I mean, you saw games to like the Chiefs or the Falcons, for example, you know, dropping games that... Uh, I mean, at least for the Falcons, they could have won. But for the Chiefs, they just stumbled along. But uh, what I appreciated for that game is they made second-half adjustments. Um, they were down 14-10, but they um, they shut out the Rams. <laughs> they shut out the Rams with an additional 21 points, three touchdowns. Which you saw Christian McCaffrey throw for a touchdown, catch for a touchdown, and run for a touchdown. And that hasn't been done since, I don't know, like, what, 2005 with LaDalian Thompson. Don't quote me, quote me on that. I think that was the last time I recall when I was in high school uh, when LaDalian Thompson was on the Chargers. But really good, clean football. Um, I mean, you saw a team like the Niners with their defense finally get to the quarterback, finally take advantage of the poorest offensive line for the Rams, which has been an issue all season for them. Um and, you know, I, I, guess, I guess on the flip side for, for the Rams, this was a, I won't say it's a must-win game, but, you know, coming off a bye week, well-rested. I mean, this was a game, especially against your divisional opponents. This makes it eight straight losses on the regular season. Sure, you can say that, hey, you beat the Niners in the NFC Championship last season, but uh, there's no way to spin it. it it's pretty annoying to, to have these, these fucking Niners continue to beat you in the regular season. It's just the regular season, but once again, it seemed like Sean McVay got outcoached in the second half. Um, you know, this this was a game that, um, like I mentioned before, they couldn't score 
um, scored points in the second half. Um, Cooper Cup had a great game. He always has a great game, week in, week out. But uh, he, had, he had the lone touchdown for the Rams. Tyler Higby had a he had a bigger opportunity, actually. There was one play in particular on third down where they did a swing pass his way. There was no one in sights within, like, I don't know what, 30 yards. Um, but out in the backfield, he, he dropped the pass. So, um, you know, once again, this Rams team is looking to find some momentum for their offense outside of Cooper Cup. Um, and that's just happened ha- hasn't happened yet. When you look at this run game, uh, another interesting thing to note, uh, Cam Akers continues to be, I don't know, not around. Daryl Henderson, he's good, but once again, they, they continue to struggle to run the football. And what you see is the final score at 31-14. to 14. So the Niners roll on. Now they're in second place at 4-4. Four and four. Good game for the Niners, uh, and they go to their bye week with hopefully, you know, reinforcements coming along the way after the, the bye week, which is interesting to note because we can talk about what they did. Training for Christian McCaffrey, which was a second round, third round, fourth round pick in 23, a fifth round pick in 2025. And a lot of draft capital, but there were also rumors that the Rams were in the mix. Per The Athletic, from an undisclosed source, it seems like the Rams were trying really hard to get Christian McCaffrey as well. From what I understand, it was a very similar package. It was a 23, second and third rounder but a 24, not a 23, fourth rounder, and a fifth rounder, also kicking in Cam Akers, apparently. So they had a 2-3 in 2023, a 4-5 in 24 at Cam Akers. Um, from what I understand, the biggest kicker was the Niners were able to include a 2023 fourth rounder instead of a 2024 fourth rounder. And the Rams did not have that fourth round pick for next year because that was used from a previous trade when they traded a fourth-round pick in 2023 for Sony Michel, a running back who is no longer with the team. Um, you know, I mean, those are rumors, but it, it c- comes to show that, you know, the Niners were, I'm sure they were aware that they were competing um, against a team. I didn't know it was going to be the Rams, um, but they had to set their game up. They had to pay pretty handsomely, um, and they beat the Rams. And you can make a case that had CMC been on the other side of the football, had Christian McCaffrey been a Ram instead of a Niner, it might have been a different outcome for this game. Because honestly, Christian McCaffrey, on such a short week of time, he's been going into that game, he's been with the team for like, what, 10 days? Uh, but he looks all all as advertised. All as advertised, pretty good stuff. Just, man... Um, you just hope the kid stays healthy because this Niners team right now, health withstanding, they look like a team uh, that should be surging in the second half of the season. Now onwards, let's talk about the other, other NFC West teams. You have the Seahawks who are atop the NFC West with a impressive, all things considered, um, they have an impressive 5-3 and three record. A nice win at home against the Giants, who, by the way, were 5-1 going into that game. Uh, a surging Giants team that in Seattle Seahawks fashion, shout out to the 12s. I don't know if it was the crowd, 
good defense, special whatnots, but they got some really timely plays. Shout out to former seventh round pick from the Niners, Richie James Jr., who fumbled two key punt returns this game as a Giants. Critical, critical turnovers. Uh, shoot, even, even the Seahawks, Jason Myers got pretty lucky. He had a field goal that was partially blocked from 35 yards out, but it still went in. Um, Tyler Lockett, he dropped what would have been an easy touchdown wide open, but he made up for it in the fourth quarter uh, with the go-ahead touchdown. He also had the ball from two yards out, and he fumbled it, which gave the Giants their first touchdown with Saquon Barkley. A lot of back and forth, but as as um, as you can tell, I mean, these little things add up. Turnovers add up, and it seems like the Giants made way more mistakes than the Seahawks. Um, I The Seahawks recorded five sacks. Five sacks, a convincing win at home, uh, even more convincing to have DK Metcalf, who had, I don't know, Patellers, uh, is it uh, Fasciotis? No, you didn't have Fasciotis. He had a pretty gnarly injury that was supposed to take him out um, for a couple of weeks, but he played this game, and he came back to, for a touchdown. So a very impressive victory for the Seahawks to beat a 5-1 Giants team and go on to lead the division to take it at five and three, on the other side of the NFC West, you have the Arizona Cardinals, who uh, won't say they it was a must-win game for them, but um, well, doesn't get any easier for them. The Seahawks played a hot five and one Giants team, while the Vikings were their opponents and hosted the Cardinals, and they are coming off a bye week as well. Well rested, they were five and one. Now they go back. Atop the NFC North at six and one, uh, convincing win, which was twenty six Cardinals Vikings thirty four. This was a back and forth game, very fun game to watch. Actually, a ton of points, obviously twenty six to thirty four. So a huge over for that game. It was nice to see DeAndre Hopkins back in action, second game back off the suspension. He had a stellar, stellar. Touchdown catch in the end zone, in the red zone, where Kyler Murray, he essentially threw him open in the sense that he was covered at the time when he released it, but he found a way to get open at just the right timing and had a one-handed catch to hold it in for the touchdown. That was pretty sweet. Um, You know, this offense has not been, well... It's been erratic, especially in the first half of games. But, you know, they, uh, Kyler Murray, I expected if he, they were to win this game, they needed to have Kyler Murray to have a big game. And, you know, he he, he had his moments. He had DeAndre Hopkins, Rondale Moore, who thankfully in his second year is starting to really emerge in his sophomore season. Um, but overall... Kirk Cousins just had a more well-balanced team. You saw Dalvin Cook um, in the screen game. Madison, red zone. You had Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen. Like, I don't know. Um, 
they went pound for pound with the Cardinals, and then I think what really um, what really compromised them at the very end is just you know the Cardinals defense. It's 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 decent, but they just couldn't get to Kirk Cousins. Um, combine that with Kyler Murray throwing a pick to Harrison Smith. Uh, it just you know I I think it could have gone either way, but once again turnovers and these little things do add up and. You know, the Cardinals had an opportunity, obviously the final score being 26-34, to 34, but I think the Vikings just outlasted them. It was considerably much of a shootout. It was nice to see Hopkins going up against Jefferson, who's, you know, in his sophomore year is becoming one of the elite wide receivers, but couldn't come out with the win. Shout out to former Cardinal Patrick Peterson. He's essentially their number one cornerback right now. Had a good game. And I uh, had a couple of uh, not-so-friendly words about the Cardinals, notably ownership and the general manager. Doesn't seem like he was too happy about how his tenure with the Cardinals ended, but onwards we go. So you have the Seahawks 5-3, and three, the Niners 4-4, four and four, the Rams 3-4, and four, and the Cardinals 3-5. and five. And so as a division, that comes out to about 15 wins going into this uh, Week 9 and once again, it's a pretty open division. A pretty open division where I didn't see this coming, but the Seahawks were leading it. And the Rams and the Cardinals, I mean, they're, they are below 500. And this game for Week 9 is critical for them to show coming forward for the second half of the season that they can get themselves out of this hole. They needed a much better showing for both their respective matchups in Week 9. So let's go ahead and get to Week 9. All right, let's get to it. Uh, start with the 10 o'clock game. 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. You have the Seahawks and the Cardinals, NFC West divisional matchup. You'll love to see it. Love to see it. And so, mentioned before, the Seahawks, they're leading the division at 5-3. and three. This is a Cardinals team at 3-5. and five. If they lose this game, they fall to 3-6. and six, And if they fall to 3-6, and six, honestly, I mean, it can be done. But probably their season's over. In all honesty, their season is over. So the Cardinals are favored by two points. Um, I always say this, but, you know, if teams are equal, you give the home team three points. I don't think they're necessarily equal because, I mean, on, on paper, I guess the Seahawks are the better team. But, I mean, this is the Cardinals team that needs to win Based off what I just mentioned, they cannot fall to three and six. I mean, they just can't and expect to make the playoffs, especially in, in the division where you have the Seahawks, you have the Niners, you have the Rams. I mean, there's just too much stuff going on right now. Um, yeah, I mean, mind you, the NFC Conference as a whole, while Cardinal, all that, it's pretty open up to this point. But by the way they're playing, um, I, I'm not as optimistic. So they need to win this game, okay? So... Cardinals are favored by two over under 49. It's supposed to be a high scoring game. And I don't see why not because between both the Seahawks and the Cardinals, I mean, both their defenses, um, they get the job done at times. You know, the Cardinals had two pick sixes the previous week against the Saints. The Seahawks, they had five sacks, like I mentioned before, against the Giants. But, you know, I I think both defenses are opportunistic. Um, Both defenses fail to consistently rush the passer. Both defenses... uh, you know, they have their moments, but for the most part, their run defense on both sides, both teams can be uh, 
it'd be pretty porous at times, right? And so, you know, when you look at this, when the Seahawks have the football, Geno Smith and this offense, I mean, thank God DK Metcalf is still playing because I thought he was going to be out a couple of weeks, but between Metcalf, Lockett, Kenneth Walker, I mean, they have plenty of skilled position players to get the job done. If anything, with Kenneth Walker out the backfield, they probably have a better overall offense because for the Cardinals, I don't know what the deal is with James Conner. He's been dealing with a rib injury the last couple of weeks. You have, you know, Benjamin. Conner is a game-time decision. I would love to have him to really establish a physical presence for this Cardinals team. But even if he does play, it doesn't seem like he's going to be 100%. Um, so when the Seahawks have the football, I, I think they can they can probably outgun the Cardinals in, in that sense. But I know that they're on the road, and I know that the Cardinals typically play a better game against the Seahawks. This is the final matchup of the season between the two. And last time they played, it was, it was kind of lame, actually. It was like, what, 17-10? It was pretty low-scoring game from what I remember. Um, but both teams now, when you fast-forward to Week 9, they finally got their offenses going. And I think Geno Smith, which is surprising, but he still leads the league in passer completion percentage. Uh, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf. Marquise Goodwin, who kind of emerged as the number three receiver, is out this game, I believe. But I think that they have enough firepower against this Cardinals team. Because like I mentioned before, outside of J.J. Watts, I mean, I don't know. Uh, they really miss a, another pass rusher. Isaiah Simmons, great. I don't know. I'm kind of drawing a blink. So as long as the Seahawks with Geno Smith and company, if they continue to play mistake-free football, take care of the football, and move the chains, you know, I, I like their chances. Um, conversely, I guess when the Cardinals have the football, well, I, I, it's going to be another Kyler Murray game. The run game with James Conner and Eno Benjamin, it's it's been eh. So you're going to have to really lean on the passing attack between DeAndre Hopkins, who's been excellent since he's come back from his suspension, Rondale Moore, um, Zach Ertz. I mean, you really got to utilize and challenge this Seattle secondary. I know they've been playing well, but between you know Kobe Bryant, Tariq Woolen, Michael Jackson, they're all rookies, okay? DeAndre Hopkins is a much better player, um, and he needs to show in the division that he can take over games. He definitely can, but I'm just saying that they really have to attack this Seattle secondary. They just have to, because I don't think they're going to run the ball that well. Um, if the Cardinals win, they, they win in a sort of shootout fashion, um, and they certainly could but they need to find a way to score points early and stop shooting themselves in the foot. I think since Cliff Kingsbury has been the head coach for the Cardinals, which has been about, like, what, about four years worth? Um, yeah, I think they're the second most penalized team. Don't quote me on that, but as you've seen game in, game out, they just have a hard time getting, like offensively getting the play call in they have false starts delayed delay games offensive line like they're just not on the same page 
And it's been frustrating because they're able to, they're able to score. They're just shooting themselves in the foot time and time again. Whereas the Seahawks, they've been playing pretty sound football lately. Um, you know, the Seahawks were projected to be last in the NFC West, but shout out to Pete Carroll, who might honestly be a very strong candidate for coach of the year, but he's just finding ways to maximize this really young squad, uh, the squad that wasn't expected to win. But here we are now. So you're seeing two teams kind of heading in different directions from a coaching perspective. Um, I mean, that's just how I see it. Defensively, you know, both these teams, eh, they're okay. I think that Seattle is better coached, a lot more opportunistic. Um, and, um, and yeah, let me go ahead and predict the score. So over under 49, Cardinals need to win this. Seahawks, as of right now, they're rolling. You know, uh, just to keep this division interesting, um, I just feel that as all the while I'm giving all this, you know, credit to Seattle and how much better they are than the Cardinals, I just I just feel that there's something to it for, for the Cardinals, knowing that they have to win this game, knowing that they're at home um, and they have a tough slate. They have the Seahawks, they have the Rams, and they have the Niners for the next three games. So they need to really, I mean, between the three, um, they got to start winning within the division. And this will be the last time that they play Seattle. And they typically do play well against Seattle. So, I mean, if there was ever a time for Kyler Murray to put the team on his back and make that connection to DeAndre Hopkins, I think the time is now. Geno Smith has been near perfect, and I think a little too perfect, if you catch my drift. I think something funky might happen, um, especially for a must-win game for the Cardinals. And I think that Geno Smith might be susceptible to uh, turnover or two. I, well, I have no evidence to show why he would, but I just have this feeling that maybe he's due for a bad game. If that happens, well, give me the Cardinals 31-28. to A real nail-biter. The Cardinals come out, and they can live to see another day at 4-5, and five, potentially, if they get the win over the Seahawks, keeping it spicy in the NFC West. Onwards, let's go ahead and talk about the Rams and the Bucks. We're going to talk about must-win games. Well, both the Rams at 3-4, and four, the Buccaneers at 3-5 and five, must win this game. Tom Brady, if they are out, drop this game here at 3-6. And, and within that division, I don't know. Same thing with the Cardinals. If they're at 3-6, I don't know. I don't know how, how the hell you can make, make the playoffs at 3-6. There's still an opportunity, but considering how both teams have been flailing, both... The Buccaneers and the Rams were three and four. Uh, it's not good. It's not good. And so the Rams, they're well. They need to find themselves. Um, they got embarrassed at home against the Niners. Cooper Cup left the game at the very end off a stupid screen pass when the game was over. He should be able to play, but he had an ankle injury, and that's like pretty much the entire team for the offense. Um, they still got to continue to find ways to patch up this offensive line because even though they got Brian Allen back, their center, left tackle, and everything else has been such a shit show. Um, 
it's just been bad. Run game. Shout out to Cam Akers during the week. I know they've been going back and forth like the last two, three weeks, but apparently they had a heart-to-heart conversation about expectations and being on the same page. The Rams were very active to try to trade him. Could not find a partner, and so circled back. And good news, he's been practicing since Thursday, and he's slated to be active for this game on Sunday. Do you think it's going to help? Well, can't get any worse. So when the Rams have the football, man, it's um, it's going to be a tough matchup. I mean, I know the Buccaneers are underwhelming in their own right. There's a reason why they're three and five. But defensively, I mean, they still have a star-studded cast of linebackers and their front seven, and they have a really stout run defense. Their secondary has been hurt, but, you know, going back to it, the Rams need to protect Matthew Stafford Establish the run somehow, and maybe that starts today with Cam Akers. I don't know how involved he's going to be, but, you know, if he can get there and play some rejuvenated football to help with Daryl Henderson, Hendo, out the backfield, that would be that would do wonders for this offense because as of right now, they're just not getting much. Um, you know, last week... Allen Robinson had four catches for like 40 yards. He was good. You know, he had a couple of tough catches to move the chains for first down. But up to this point, you know, I I need to see more from these receivers outside of Cooper Cup. I don't know what what the hell is going on, but, you know, between like Van Jefferson, who hasn't made an impact at all, um, Tutu Atwell, I I, I mean, there's just not much speed outside to complement Cooper Cup. So, a good run game, even though the Buccaneers have a very strong run defense, would do well because, you know, their secondary's been battered. It's hurt. And they need to find a way to make it a little bit more balanced to get Matthew Stafford in play action, to save his ass, to save this offensive line, to take some shots, you know, between the zone, outside, inside, just, they gotta make some plays, okay? But it doesn't start until you get the run game going. Conversely, um, you know, when the Bucks are on offense, Tom Brady is under center. When the, when the Rams are on defense, I mean, you know, this is... This is a good Rams defense. I just I just don't understand, man. I mean, you know, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, who, mind you, should have had a pick or two last week against the Niners. But, um, you know, they just... They need to get some more pass rush. And it's interesting to note that at least looking at the stats, I mean, they have a very high, interesting set of a pass rush effectiveness rates. I, I don't know what the real term is. I, I, I read this the other day, but they're able to win their matchups against the offensive line, rushing the passer, but they cannot bring pressure, if that makes any sense. So imagine this, you know, you're Aaron Donald, you beat your guy, rushing the passer but you know Jimmy Garoppolo or another quarterback is able to still throw the ball and not get pressured so that's what I'm meaning they're winning their matchups but they're not covering those one matchups to pressures or sacks or anything that would actually affect the quarterback or the offense 
And so that's just weird because they're doing a very good job of winning their matchups, but they're not getting the results they want. So between Leonard Floyd, Bobby Wagner, Aaron Donald, like they got to make it happen, guys. And, you know, Tom Brady is not, well, obviously, but he's not young. He can't move that well. They got to get to him. Um, this might be a good Aaron Donald day. Up the middle, interior pass rush. Let Tom Brady sweat. And, you know, the reason why the Buccaneers are 3-5 and five is because they've had a ton of injuries from their wide receivers. Mike Evans, Julio Jones, Russell Gage. I mean, they've been in and out of the lineup. Chris Godman. They need to... They've... Well, they haven't really had a... They haven't really had any sort of smooth chemistry because of this turnover between the receivers. And so, you know, if the Rams can rush the passer and, and make Tom Brady sweat like he, he's been doing all season, then you have a very good chance of beating this Buccaneers team on the road. Another thing to note, too, they have a nice one-two punch with Lenny Fournette and Rashard White. They've been going a little bit more 60-40 split between Fournette and White. Uh, hopefully the Rams are able to bring pressure, keep this defense, um, you know, limit limit these big plays, keep this defense fresh, and allow the offense to to cook, to cook, play sound football, um, run the run the football and and play to what they do in terms of their strengths, which is run it out enough, get play action, get some big plays and move onwards with a victory. Um, the over-under is 42.5. Not high scoring, and I kind of agree with that. I think it's going to be, it's gonna be a pretty big grinder between the Bucks and the Rams because both teams are, at least offensively, they have not been able to execute the way that they would have liked on paper. And so I think it comes down to both Stafford and Brady between which defense can rattle the opposing quarterback. So at the end of the day, where do I see it's um, you know, when push comes to shove, both teams need to win. But I think Tom Brady at home, they're favored by three, over under 42 and a half. I think they're able to get it done. They have much better weapons on the outside between Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Julio Jones, and even some pass catching ability between Lenny Fournette and Rashad White. So while it's not going to be high scoring, I think they'll find a way to get it done because they have more talent from their offensive skill set positions. So go ahead and give me the Buccaneers 21-17. Buccaneers 21, Rams 17. All right, so appreciate your guys' time. That's how I see the NFC West Week 9. So I have the Cardinals 31, the Seahawks 28, and the Buccaneers 21, and the Rams 17. So if that happens, it makes the division very spicy. If that happens, that means the Rams are three and five. Yeah, and um, I don't mind. I guess <laughs> that's the uh, Niners bias in me. But we'll see what happens. Um, you know, like another thing to note as well uh, with Christian McCaffrey now a Niner. I also didn't mention that Jeff Wilson. Kind of this is like. The trickle down effect. I mean, you give up second, third, fourth, fifth round picks. So they were able to trade Jeff Wilson Jr. to, you know, Niners East or Niners Vice in Miami. 
to the Dolphins for a fifth round pick. It was interesting because the Rams, the Cardinals, and the Seahawks, they made no trades. So that's another thing I just want to add before we end this podcast. But once again, thank you so much for checking out the pod, whether it's on Spotify or iTunes. Also continue to check it out at Just the West on Twitter and Instagram at Just the West. And of course the blog www.justthewest.com. Till next time, we out here. Peace.